Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 286 on Tuesday, the 5th of November, 2019. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, where one part of the internet has fallen silent, we'll be asking, when will we get some positive news from the monthly registrations? We find out which local councils are most charged up about electric vehicles. And we take a moment of self-reflection for our corner of the internet. But first, a smidgen of follow-up, and we immediately go to hot breaking news. And it is that Bristol... See, I had to do something different, otherwise we'd have to pay uh, royalty fees on that noise. Bristol has actually approved the diesel ban for private vehicles, uh, which we discussed last week in their uh, committee meeting today or this afternoon stroke this evening so uh well we, we, we tried to discuss it last week and i would just like to repeat what you might not have been able to hear last week which was that it's just so ill considered i don't have a to an extent i don't have a problem with the principle of it it's just you're banning everything you're being you're just doing sort of great big it's great big chunks and then trying to introduce it really, really quickly. I just don't think there is time for this to work properly. I also think, by the way, it's shooting themselves in the foot yes. uh, from a commercial point of view. I, I think we can, we, we will soon be welcomed with open arms into the desert that will be Bristol City Centre. Yeah, there, there are going to be charges for vehicles that aren't privately owned. So taxis and vans will pay a daily charge of £9. Buses and HGVs, £100. Now, I don't know if that's Mm. the day or every time they enter the zone. That's a day, I believe. I believe that's a day. I mean, I can't imagine. Much as this has been quite daft, I can't imagine they'd be daft enough to charge per visit into the zone. No, no, I think that there is a limit. And to be honest, it's just too flipping difficult for them to police if you do that. Well, they'd just do it retrospectively, wouldn't they, because of cameras and recordings and... Well, that's it. I mean, you've got two... You're essentially going to end up with two rings of rings of ANPR cameras around uh, around central Bristol. Yeah, it's... Uh, when this was discussed in the council meetings leading up to this vote, several councillors from areas adjoining the clean zone, the clean air zone, sorry, they all expressed their concerns that it's just going to push the problem out to them it's just going to hit those who are poorer because, as we mentioned again last week, there was the two grand grant for people looking to get a new ve- or a vehicle that is compliant with the rules. But is £2,000 going to do that, particularly if you're a poorer family? There, there's big questions about that sort of thing. Uh, I... I think they haven't thought it fully through. Surprise, surprise. There's a local Mm. or larger government initiative that hasn't been thought through. And I think there is, as you said, Alan, it is really going to bite them on the backside, particularly commercially, because things are either going to cost a lot more, or no, and cost a lot more, and people won't go and visit as much as they, they do now. So businesses will suffer and additional to that the quality of life will drop because lorries and vans will then only do the deliveries at night and so it will make it a 24-hour city where it is very noisy at night through deliveries and stuff like that so that's another impact on the other hand it's not a done deal it does still need government approval 
before it can get there. And right at the minute, we don't really have a government. So so <laughs> it's definitely not going to be rushed through. I think there's there's other stuff going through right at the minute. Let's see what happens with that. But yeah, I think that's going to be a little bit tricky. But but I do, I do think this actually brings up, just before we move on, I do think this brings up an interesting point, though, is whilst we all admit we need there needs to be cleaner air, we need to remove air pollution and these things, it's how to execute this. This is not a simple problem to fix, is it? No, no, it really isn't. And I think that that's a very, a very fair and reasonable thing to say. Oof. Um, but it, it is. It, it's not simple. It's it's really hard. And, and I think that that's what, that's what I find so difficult about this scheme is that it seems to be a very simplistic... Uh, I did not swear there. That was a siren outside. Uh, it seems to be a very simplistic solution to a very complex problem and I, I can't believe that it's going to be the right or a work or even it's not the right solution but I, I can't believe it's a workable solution because it has been it, it, it's so lowest common denominator I, I suppose it depends on whether you're just focused on fixing that one problem I mean, we've talked about this, these are the things we always talk about, isn't it? When, they, when people come up with solutions to issues, they've looked at it at the level one. Okay, how do we reduce mm. the air pollution? We stop vehicles going in. Great, we've done the job. Yes, but <laughs> now that means no yeah. people, no goods, no, 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 no more of this, no more of that, no more of the other. So, but it's all right, Andrew, because there's no vehicles, <laughs> and that was what we were aiming for. Exactly. That was that was that was what we were taught. Shall we move on, please? Yes, let's move. Sorry, I just I felt we needed to make that point that it's not simple. So we weren't just we weren't just hammering them. Yeah, and there was more discussion we wanted to have last week, but unfortunately, connectivity meant that it was awfully difficult for us to have that. So it was somewhat one-sided uh, without that discussion. <sighs> anyway, something which is very much one-sided, hopefully, <laughs> is. Uh, Dieselgate follow-up. Surprise, surprise on the Motoring Podcast. Uh, but this one is is a big deal. Um, so this comes from Automotive News Europe. I only published it 11 hours ago. But the ex-Volkswagen uh, CEO, Martin Winterkorn, uh, has been implicated by the former development chief, uh, Heinz Jakob Nusser. He was head of engine development, uh, and he, it's claimed, uh, said to the prosecutors in a hearing, "This was this is about uh, this is actually about unfair dismissal, wrongful dismissal. This is, that's what this is about. He's suing the automaker. Are we still on the wrongful dismissal? Yeah, this is his ah, own personal one about just, that. I'm sorry, I thought this was the wider one. But he's saying, yeah, okay, so he's claimed the unfair dismissal, but saying it's it, it, it's unfair because we were told to do this by Martin Vintercourt. Yes, and what they were told to yeah, do yeah. was to not reveal the full details of how bad Dieselgate was. Yeah, so I lost. I had the quotation earlier on, and I've now completely lost it on my screen. But it, it was there, yes. But Volkswagen's lawyer has, or part of their legal team, has responded by saying, and I'm going to quote here from the article, it's totally far-fetched that in such a situation, two board members would make a clear order to deceive US authorities. Okay. Uh, we, yeah, we will let the that listeners that make up their own minds about that statement because I don't think our legal fund is quite big enough at the moment. With, no, no, that's because I just spent it. <laughs> you did. <laughs> <laughs> I just spent it, yes. 
I just, uh, yes, I, I spent on public liability insurance. Yes. We don't want to have to tap That's into it straight away. Up, everyone. No, please. I've only had, I've barely had, I've barely, we've barely had the policy a week. Don't do this to us. Yes. <laughs> Right, uh, let's move on. That's that's all the follow up out of the way, and it's the beginning of the month, so we know what that means. It means, Alan, it's time to uh, queue up the sign of the swing symbol, which we can't play for copyright reasons <laughs> and no legal fund, as we rush uh, headlong into the SMMT uh, new car registration figures for October. And it is not it is not glowingly wonderful. It has dropped a further six point seven percent. Unsurprisingly, here in the UK, consumer confidence remains weak. I think not many of us are running out and spending lots of money on things at the minute because we just don't know what's happening. Uh, and that's reflected here. I mean, the private vehicle registrations last month were down thirteen point two percent. Business was down thirty percent, and fleet was held steady with a zero point three percent increase. Not awesome there. If I can't remember, and I haven't had a chance to look back at our show notes from uh, this time last year, but wasn't 2018 a down month anyway? Uh, October yes, 2018. Because... I'm sure that we are now, we are definitely now in the we have been going downhill for more than 12 months' time. I think so. I know that September last year was a massive drop. Um, oh, sorry, I'm looking at the chart I at the bottom. I can't and yes, remember if October was uh, October was 18 was slightly down on uh, October 17, um, which was down massively on 16. Well spotted that blooming great graph at the bottom of the page. Yes. There. yes. So you're right, yes. It wasn't as big a, a drop as it had been in, in, in the September, though. No. no. Uh, what, are we, what are the splits? Um, diesel down 28%. Uh, that's down 21% year on year uh, on year to date. Uh, petrol down 3.2%. Battery electric vehicles up 151.8%. Um, they there were 3,162 registered uh, last month uh, here in the UK, as opposed to t- just over 1,200 in 2018. Uh, plug-in hybrids are about the same, give or take about 50 odd. Hybrids. Non-plug-ins are up 28%. Mild-hybrid diesels are way up, and mild-hybrid petrols are up a little bit. Yeah. I really should find out what those mild-hybred diesels are, actually, because I'm still not not quite sure. Uh, I'm sure we have one or two listeners that know the criteria for that, and we maybe need to tap their well-informed minds. I think we probably do, actually. Yes, I think we probably do. Best-sellers list? Yep. Uh, it's it's ooh, it's a bit a bit of an unusual one in there at number ten uh, is the Range Rover Evoque with two thousand one hundred and thirty four. I have spotted a couple of the new Evokes around the place. Uh, number nine, a Volkswagen Polo uh, with only a smidgen more. Uh, I remember we were talking like three or four transporters worth more. Yes. Volkswagen Tiguan in at 8, Kia Sportage in at 7. I mean, these are all bundled really closely together. We're at like under 500 cars between that lot. Uh, a small step up to the Ford Cougar at number 6 with 3,041. At uh, number 5 is Ford Focus with 3,585. At uh, number 4, the Mercedes-Benz A-Class. 3,630 of those were leased last month. 
The number three is the Volkswagen Golf 3976. Ahead of that, but only just by, well, just over 100, is the Nissan Qashqai with 4,084. And number one, of course, having listened to all that, you'll have guessed it's the Ford Fiesta with 5,138. I mean, you've got to remember the top 10 here. The numbers separating these are not that great. No. Not, not even the well, the Fiesta's better, but it's nowhere Fiesta's near what Fiesta normally does. How far it is normally ahead, because it's only no. it's only eleven hundred more. Well, uh, not even eleven hundred more. Not even eleven hundred. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to see somebody else falling into the live mental arithmetic trap. Yes, uh, but overall, you know, Fiesta so far is what's that nine. 19,000, just over 19,000 sales ahead of the, the Golf, which is in number two in the year to date. Yeah. So 69,702 Fiesta and uh, 50,468 Golf. Yep. Which is only a, again, only a smidgen ahead of the focus. It's, it's, it's neck and neck at the top of the table. <laughs> yes. Right, let's go through the spreadsheet of doom, and it is quite doomy, actually, I'm afraid, everybody. That, that, that's screen number 47, just a second. And somebody's published it at 200%. Oh, well, there we go. Now I can read it. I'd like to keep you on your toes. Okay, uh, oh, there's an awful lot of doom and gloom, isn't there? Are you going to go through every single one of those? Well, I'll just do it quickly, and I'm, I'm not going to bother. Oh, on, I'm not going to do too many figures here, so I'm just going to run through the the numbers. Our Bath's bad, Citroen, Dacia bad, Fiat bad, Honda bad, Infinity that was always going to happen. Jaguar that's not a good month. They're down twenty seven point three two percent after they'd mm. had a couple. They'd had a decent month last month, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they've had a couple of decent. They've had a few months of growth. Yeah, yeah and Land Rover also down this time seventeen uh, percent. Uh, so again, that's off the back of a couple of decent months. Lotus, it- which is curious considering, of course, the Evoque. Hang- oh, yeah, don't yeah. run, don't run away. Yeah. So uh, Land Rover five thousand seven hundred and fifty two registrations, of which two thousand one hundred and thirty four with a new Evoque, of course. Yep. So almost what's that? Well, that's over two. That's over two fifths. Yep. Yeah. Getting on towards half. Yeah. Lotus, not great, but I think that's just batch month. Uh, Maserati down twenty seven percent, but that equates to. No, it, not many because they don't do that many. 20, 20, 20 cars. Yeah. yeah, Mazda bit of a drop there, fifteen percent. Mini for a change. Uh, that's that's a drop from down from five thousand one hundred and sixteen last year to three thousand three hundred sixty seven this year. Mitsubishi down nearly sixty percent. I think that's just because all the new did this time last year. Did they have something new out? Quite possibly, yeah. What we're noticing here, by the way, is these are all cars that are bought privately. Yeah. Just to highlight, all these red ones, cars are bought privately. Yeah, because, right, we'll get, I'll just run through four more here. So Smart, Sanyong, Subaru, all down. Suzuki down uh, as well. That's generally a private own. Now, more on the fleet mm. and business side, though, Vauxhall, another bad month for Vauxhall, 36%. Now, what that equates to is last year they had 9,437. This year it's 6,007. So that's quite a drop. But they're now profitable. Yes. The, the other thing is they have a smaller range than they had. 
They do, they do. Right. And there's new stuff in the pipeline because we've seen mm-hmm. stuff about courses and things like that. So that that will only hold them in good stead, I think. Yeah. Uh, Volvo down 18% as well after they've had many good months. Although I did notice globally they've risen 13% or something So mm-hmm. in the last quarter. So uh, maybe just a little blip. But take us yeah. briefly. Well, actually, there's another one here. Chevrolet should be down 100%. Well, there's none. None for a change. Yes, there was two last year and none. But this was, according to SMMT's own figures, was down no percentage change. No, no, that's not right. Yeah, I think it's because it's an infinite and it can't do that. <laughs> there's a bunch of others which are holding steady-ish, by the way. Yeah, Audi, BMW, Toyota, Mercedes, Nissan, Peugeot, uh Seat, oh, Seat's up quite a bit. But Skoda, Toyota, Volkswagen are all pretty much steady, okay? Yeah. Pretty much the same or, or up slightly. Uh, Alpine up 300%, Bentley up 118%, DS are up 55%. Yay! For some reason, I always feel I should, I feel obliged to cheer on DS. I'm always happy when they've had a good month. Yes, no, but, I, know what you, I know what you mean. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't. It's kind of inexplicable, really. Um, Lexus up 63%. MG up 6%. That's not, not as big as the rises they've been having recently. But they saw, but they registered their 10,000th car. Yes, they did. But last year, they were on the back of some massive percentage changes. So anything they do now yeah, is, silly is more susta- the sustainable, realistic growth as opposed to we've just hit the market growth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, quite right. Huge growth chunk of grey and red uh, until we get to Porsche up 391.78%. Congratulations on the most ridiculous percentage change this month for Porsche. WLTP, that has to be, doesn't it? Because they had real problems with it. Yeah, exactly. So that was uh, 1,600, uh, just over 1,600 vehicles registered by Porsche as opposed to 329, hence the ridiculous. Ridiculous percentage. Mm-hmm. Uh, other imports are up 231.64. Probably includes the cars beginning with T, which may or may not fall to bits. 587. So we saw what we saw last month when it was uh, when the Model 3 was on the highest was one that was in the top 10. Mm-hmm. Is that just last month? Yeah. That was just yeah. last month. Uh, seems to have settled down because that's lots of other imports as well in there. So that will include many uh, Japanese imports and that kind of stuff. So not nearly as many. They haven't had a boat in. <laughs> yeah, that may well be it. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? But that would seem reasonable. Seem reasonable. So that that's, that's hidden away in there. Um... That's pretty much it for the numbers, but it brings us on to the biggest news story of the last week, I think, well, automotively. Yes, and, and that is that PSA and uh, Fiat Chrysler are going to join forces in a 50-50 merger, <laughs> so, which I wasn't expecting. I didn't expect it to be 50-50, but uh, that's apparently what both boards have come out and stated. Right. However, that has immediately allowed lots of people to fill lots of column inches of how can PSA make FCA work in Europe? (laughs) Right. So my first question on this is, do they want to or need to? I don't think so. And that really is it. Is First of all, so uh, PSA is strong in Europe. 
absolutely no, I mean, zero presence in North America at all. Because they've been talking about getting back in there, haven't they? They have been talking about it, yeah. Uh, and on the other hand, FCA, whilst, you know, it starts with the word fiat, uh, then they don't have a, not particularly strong all the way across Europe. Right at the moment, there are not really any strong brands there. But, you know, Jeep and Ram uh, and Chrysler, to an extent, are selling in the US. And, and Jeep is the moneymaker in all of this. Yep. For FCA, it's Jeep, that, Jeep and Ram that make the cash, not Fiat. Nope. Not Alpha, not Maserati, uh, not Lancia. <laughs> oh. You know, it, it's, it's, the, it's the Chrysler part there that, that, has made, that, that is, is making the money right now. PSA is is making money across its different brands, but uh, well, not DS. Okay, Peugeot, Citroen, Vauxhall, Opel. Yes, are making money. And interestingly, neither of them are making any money or doing well at all in China. No, this is true. Despite being historically in there early uh, and quite strong, but that might well be a blessing for them. I think. I think some people, some uh, companies that were formerly doing well in China are now maybe not doing as well in China because it blipped. Now there's other companies, Volkswagen being one of them, who are historically strong in China and have managed to kind of maintain most of that strength, not all of it. Mm. But VW is, is the one that I always think of as being a very early entrant into, into China. Citroen was. You know, there were uh, ZX saloons and stuff being made in China. I think the biggest problem for anybody looking at China is the way that the market is almost nosediving percentage-wise. Yes, yes. Well, it's doing that, and there's this massive, uh, there's this massive surge in in Chinese branded vehicles, which are actually relatively decent, yeah, as opposed to being jokes. And and that really, I think, is a combination of those. People saying, "Well, do we really want? Do we really need or want what the people see as a mid-range brand globally?" Uh, when we can have a mid-range brand anyway, which is which is local, but is actually better, faster, stronger, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they really just want stuff. In China, they really want to buy stuff that isn't made in China. But the only way that you can sell stuff in China, unless it's really expensive, is to make it in China. Yeah. Uh, and therefore, for most brands, that cachet just disappears immediately. And, and, and unless you are an ultra-high-end brand then you're, you're, you're pretty much stuck, I think. That's the way I see it anyway. Yeah. No, no, I, I don't disagree that's, at that's all. That's based on consumer products generally, not just cars. Sorry, this is one of these times when I'm not just, just talking about cars, but talking from from from, from consumer products as, as well. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it will mean the death of many brands or, or, or models, but it would be interesting to see because at the minute in PSA in Europe have, well, in this country, certainly with Vauxhall now on board, they're offering alternatives of the same thing across their brands. I can see that. So I can how, see that continuing to happen. Can, it'd be interesting to see if they can differ, if they decide to go down a differential, you know, this is, this is purely for this sector and niche and market. And that's how we're pushing this, this particular vehicle stroke brand. It'll be interesting to see if they go down that line or if they go down the the Volkswagen line of, here they are, there's a different badge, but it's effectively the same vehicle across our many brands. It's up to you which one you want. 
I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, if they had a platform that was maybe engineered for four-wheel drive, and then all of a sudden you see that as a, a small Jeep, you see that as a Peugeot, you see that with a, um, you see that as a Vauxhall and as an Opel, mm-hmm. possibly even a Citroen as well, but with, uh, with minor body changes. Yeah. That really wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Essentially the same structure, essentially the same interiors of, you know, the same, the skin might be different, but behind that, the panels would be the same. So the body in white would look identical yeah. across them. Uh, but maybe some made in the US, some made here in Europe. They're talking about not changing any plants, being quite clear and specific on that, it seems, uh, which I guess is good news for uh, Ellsmith Port. Mm, yeah, but they, they they always say that. Yeah, but they've still got Ellsmith Port, they still always, got that caveat hanging over it. it of whatever happens with Brexit, so... Well, as does just about every UK plot. Yeah. Remember that, you know. It's, and if they're these, and if companies have invested in factories in China, well, then there is still a chance that they're going to build in China and then ship here. Yeah. Because it's, it's you know... It's, it's still cheaper. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's tricky. Yep. It's very tricky. People are saying great things about Carlos Tavares saying that if anybody's going to make this work, he's going to make it work. Uh, and there's lots of words like, you know, the most, basically the most competent automobile executive in the world right now. <laughs> well, he's, he's, he seems to be executing it. I mean, if you turn Vauxhall Opal around that quickly to profitable, then you you know you're, you've, you've, got a, you've got a game plan and you are sticking to it, which I think is half the battle. If you, you, it doesn't matter whether the plan is 100% right or not, as long as you are sticking to it and you're following it through. Yeah, and they've been known to be looking for a, looking to, to buy someone else quite a lot. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that they were, that, that, that there were mutters around uh, JLR yep. and you know, that kind of thing has since been confirmed that, yes, they were actually sniffing around JLR quite, quite heavily. Yep. Uh, but there has been one piece of news that's come out from, from all of this so far. Or it's not so much news, but a rumour. Yeah. Well, this is what I was sort of implying with the lots of column inches are now being filled with people speculating or suggesting or sources inside the company have said. And that is that the uh, the Panda platform is, is going to go, which is, uh, on the one hand, if one was cynical, that's quite a clickbaity thing to lead with because we will all go up in arms going hang on that's what fear does (laughs) well that's it if you don't have that then what's then what is then what's the point of fear really but i don't think that's the end of the earth because everybody's going well who's going to be in the mini car segment where's that going to come from and i'm like there's the citroen c1 and there's the peugeot 108 and there's this nice little platform there, which is also shared by the Toyota Raigo. Well, the Panda's the same size as a C3 anyway, isn't it? So, is it? Yeah, they're, they're, they're well, not... you know better than I do. You, they're you, not Diddy anymore. They're not... Uh, it's, uh, but again, the, there, there is a platform there that you could build a 500 on. Oh, absolutely. So why do you need another one? And, uh, and uh, you know, the C3's very much hitting into... I mean, the Lancia Ypsilon gets mentioned in here. And sure, it, it doesn't sell that much. It's not sold anywhere but Italy, but in Italy it makes up almost 100,000 sales a year. Yeah. I think if I've got my numbers right. Yeah. I, not. I saw a conversation on Twitter about it, 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 it well outsells other brands that are in there. Yeah, way more than you would think. Mm. Okay. And when you go to Italy, then you see lots of them. So, yeah, let's see. But there are other platforms there. So maybe Fiat don't need a dedicated platform for it. And in which case, this story would be correct. 
but maybe a bit on the extreme side. Yeah, but uh, but it's gonna, it really is going to be fascinating to see how this pans out and what they do. More interesting Dieselgate, anyway. Well, yeah, certainly. Right, shall we move on now? Uh, the government has released some information about uh, local government charging points. Well, yes, there is a, le- a league table has been released, which isn't actually a league table. It's just a table and rather a nice uh, and, and rather a nice map of which local authorities uh, are doing the most about uh, about EV charging points and charging availability. Uh, and this has been done and created uh, in conjunction with ZapMap, who we've talked about before. Uh, and it's quite interesting. So I took... So if you go... To, if one goes to... Well, there's kind of two sites about it, and there's, there's two different links to the government report on this. One of them actually gives you a, an illustrated map to, to show a number of different things. And I'm just going to click on that link because I can't remember what the four different lenses are. Yeah, just just double check on that map, by the way, because that you have the option to click total devices, devices per 100,000, and rapid this devices. This is what I was going to say, yeah. Uh, now, uh, if one selects an area that we know to be less well served by, say, rapid devices, uh, North Wales... And you click on devices per 100,000 for that. Look how well they do. They're in the top 20% because <laughs> there are such a small population. <laughs> it's so, it's so that's, I mean, you, you pretty much nailed what it was that I, where I was about to go with this. I think it's interesting, but there's no separate weighting between rapid chargers and not so rapid chargers uh, in this. But it's interesting that they give you these three lenses, that that total devices, that devices per 100,000 population and rapid devices. I mean, places, most of Scotland does very well in this, okay? Because there are lots of rapid devices right around Scotland, which are all funded by the Scottish government, and there is nobody living there, okay? Mm -hmm. So um, Highland and stuff does quite well. What they don't, the reason I said, well, it's not really a league table is because what they haven't done is they haven't ranked them in to, into an order of sort of who, who, who does best uh, by, uh, yeah, of, of who does best by any of these particular measures. Um, so what I did was I went and did that. Uh, so just to give you an idea of the averages across the whole of the UK, in total there are 15,116 public charging devices counted by ZapMap. There are 2,495 public rapid charging devices. And if you want the definitions of these, do follow the links in the show notes to the appropriate pages, and it does actually have definitions of each of these things. But on average, there are 23 charging devices per 100,000 of population. Doesn't seem particularly high. No. And then you think, well, okay, I want to rank these by charging devices per 100,000 of population. So I did that. And there are, out of this, of the local authorities, there are, scroll, 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 scroll down to the bottom because I didn't think to make a note of how many there were in total. 382. 382. 382. Sorry, sorry. Two get the same score down there at the arse end of the table. So first of all, number one is the City of London with 414 devices per 100,000 population. I think that's wonderful. That must be millions. There is one rapid charger and 36 slow chargers. It's one of these cases where nobody lives there. Mm. And normally at the start, 414. And then it settles down. Westminster, 
190, Hammersmith and Fulham, blah, 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 blah. Hammersmith and Fulham, Richmond-upon-Thames, Wandsworth, you're thinking, and you're thinking, bloody London bias, aren't you? That's it, it's London bias. Next one, Orkney Islands. <laughs> 108, uh, because there's four rapid charges, there's 24, 24 in total, but just nobody there. No, but they, they, Orkney are a particular point where they have gone for, um, they do a lot of sustainable energy generation for their electric chargers and everything and they are trying to just be a completely green area mm. for vehicles it's completely low emission so well and any emissions there are just gets blown away anyway because <laughs> yes. it's all and there's no shelter anywhere yes a thistle is classed as a bush in, uh, in orkney <laughs> yes. it's, it's that, that's the kind of level i once bought a truck from orkney it was a, a scania uh, with quite a big cab and it had this massive wind fairing on the top it's amazing. It's great condition. It's not scratched at all. Unlike most of them, it's like it's because there's no trees to scratch it. <laughs> uh, Milton Keynes comes in at ninth, by the way, with ninety six charges per hundred thousand, but it has two hundred and fifty eight charging devices and eighty eight rapid chargers in and around Milton Keynes. It's a great place to live. If you have an EV, obviously. Remind me where the uh, EV Experience Centre is, Alan. That's in Milton Keynes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And the headquarters of BP Chargemaster, that's Luton, but it's very close to Milton Keynes. (laughs) Yes. Yes, Milton Keynes Keynes is showing the way ahead. Uh, It comes in at ninth. Uh, Tenth, by the way, is Hounslow. Yeah, sublime to the ridiculous there. Yep. You can sort these out. I looked at mine. Corby, we're well above the average here. We've got 37. Uh, That's four rapid charges and 26 public charges. We're coming up 44th equal, along with Winchester, the Cotswolds, and Monmouthshire. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't remember what, what local authority you came under, so I, I don't have yours highlighted here, I'm afraid. We're very poor. You're very poor. Okay, yes. So you'll be down at the very bottom of the table, by the way, uh, is with nothing, with no public charging devices, no public rapid charging devices, and no people, uh, is the Isle of Scilly. Uh, so they're kind of, again, they fit into the anomaly category. But Barrow and... F- Barrow and Furness, or Barrow and Furness, come on, surely BAE Systems can put in one or two for you, lacking in nuclear abilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's, yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, there's some in there that are really, really bad that you would have thought would have more coverage than they do. Do you know, do you know one that surprised me there, by the way, was uh, rugby, actually, down there in 371st equal, which has three charging devices, no rapid charges, and you think you're, just off the M6. Well, Odeby and Wigston surprises me. Part of Leicester. It's got one charging point, not even a rapid. But it's it's really Leicester. I mean, there is a problem with this, by the way. It's well worth pointing out. There is a problem with this in that, in fact, I feel that the granularity is too small Okay. of some of these areas. I feel that there's some where you can gather them together and actually you get a reasonable number. Whereas what you find is you have one authority with lots quite nearby, with one, and then there'll be this desert of rural area, mm. and then there's the next town, and it's got another spike of them. Whereas if you live there, it's all really one area, so it doesn't really bother you because you're not really going to be stopping in this 10 miles in between. Yeah. I feel that, in fact, 382 of these, if the granularity is so small, it doesn't... They're nice numbers... But they don't really translate into... This is not a measure of real-world usability. 
And I'm thinking about my experiences the other week. Yeah. I mean, I drove from mine to my cousin's and then went somewhere else and then home. And I went through about six of these. I'm going to be honest, most of them were deserts <laughs> of charging points. From, from me, you know, from me up there with, with four rapids to choose from. Uh, and then Kettering, which is pretty good as a number. You know, it, it drops when you count the per 100,000. Uh, and then you go to Northampton, which is just rubbish, just just hopeless. And Wellingborough, which isn't great. And then in between, you've actually got a whole load of them in somewhere that's otherwise empty. And there's only like 10 miles between between Northampton and, and, and sort of Wellingborough and stuff like that. So it's... Because I think also as well, with this, with this level of, of granularity, it shows which areas are commuter as opposed to centres where people go to work. And I think that's sort of reflected as well, because there's there's some of these some of these councils that I know of mm-hmm. that they are where people you know they're basically the suburbs that people stay, yeah. have their own drive and places like that who then go to work somewhere else. Rugby fits into that category. Yeah, there's nearly nothing there, but you know I'll bet I'll bet there are plenty of plenty of driveway ones. Yeah. Plenty of people in and around rugby will have, uh, you know, have EVs will will have them in their driveway. So it's not an absolute measure, but I think it's I think it's interesting. I think it's well worth looking at. The map is well worth a browse. Uh, the data table is great because you can just copy and paste it into Excel. Yep, basically, if you so desire. I really quite like that story. Yeah, and, and the government is also when they when they brought out this information, they're also reminding councils that they still have their grants and funding available to help mm. install and help pay some all portions thereof the installation um, and upkeep of these these sites. One last thing that I'm prepared to give another plug for ZapMap because it really is an excellent app. Yes, absolutely. It's the sort of, even if I, I, I have about six or seven EV system apps on, on my phone, ZapMap is the one I go to to do my two minutes of planning before I go on the journey to just check. Yeah. Just see what's on the way, uh, because it can be very difficult. And uh, some sat navs are completely useless when it comes to helping find charging points, um, whereas others are, are quite good. So it's it's the one that I trust. I take that map normally as gospel, and then if I want a bit more detail, I might go into a particular provider's app uh, just to double check and triple check availability and stuff. Yep. Anyway. Don't do that when you're on the move. No, absolutely not, because the government is going to close its legal loophole for using your mobile phone whilst driving. If you remember not so long ago, we discussed about the chap who uh, appealed against his conviction because he f- was prosecuted for filming a crash and because the law stated you weren't allowed to use the phone to communicate with. And he stated, well, I wasn't communicating, I was only filming. You know, the communicating happened after when he'd parked up. So he he got off that charge. So the government is going to uh, close up that loophole, which the Department for... Uh, no, which the Transport Committee have applauded. But mm-hmm. they have also said that they're a bit disappointed that their recommendation for a total ban of mobile phones whilst driving, in any using them in any way, uh, including hands-free calls, uh, has been 
rejected by the government. I don't think... I think rejected is a bit strong. Well, the government... Rejected sounds like it's been dismissed out of hand, whereas I don't think it has been. Well, the government said they, they won't be uh, considering introducing that because there's no way to police it. That's it. It's not that they said it's just rubbish. It's just that they said there's no way to police this. Because if we, if we all remember, modern cars now have their own SIM cards... So, I mean, it's what you you uh, brought up when they were discussing the using the uh, trying to use technology to spot who was who was using a phone and therefore then put up a sign or a, a message to say, oh, get off your phone yeah. and all that. It's a, well, how how can you tell whether it's someone's phone, whether it's the car communicating, whether it's the passenger's phone? It, it's there's no way to isolate. Well, there is a way, but it's incredibly creepy, tracky, and dreadful and becomes police state, surveillance state-esque. So let's not go down that route before I blow a tinfoil oh, well, hat. I'll be introduced <laughs> in the next week or two. <laughs> um, so so it, whilst I totally agree that when you're behind the wheel, you should have no need to make a call at all, to ban it outright, I think is you, you just can't stop that. Added on top of that, as we say, with all these new laws that people say we should bring in, Who's, who's going to police it? We haven't got enough people to police it now. And technology will not fix that one. It's not just a who, it's a who and a how. Yeah. You know, it, it really is. It's... So, don't touch your phone at all in any way whilst you're driving. Go for the touchscreen, that's fine, no problem there. The law is a something, something, something. <laughs> yes. Bottom. <laughs> Uh, we need to actually uh, go across to our European correspondent for this next article, though. Um, I'm, try- I'm trying to work out a witty way of introducing this, which plays on the fact that Brussels is a ruddy, awful place to drive in anyway. So this will probably not make any difference to anyone ever, because nobody wants to drive into Brussels. Uh, but they are going to ban all petrol and diesel cars. And I know that sounds like Bri- the Bristol story earlier on, However, let me talk first of all about the time scales to put this into some sort of perspective. It's about diesels will be outlawed in 2030. That's 11 <laughs> years away. Right. Access for petrol cars will be restricted from 2035. <laughs> and emission heavy motorbikes will be banned from 2022. You know, there's time. You can prepare for this. But quite frankly, Brussels actually needs to introduce this far more quickly than most cities, I think. It is quite a dirty, polluted place, actually. It's a shame, because it could be... There are parts of Brussels that are absolutely beautiful. Um, I spent far too many months uh, going back and forth and spending three or four nights a week in Brussels for work. But the thing is that Brussels has a great public transport infrastructure. It's got a subway. It's got trams. It's got buses. It's got uh, mainline train lines that don't just go in and stop, but run right through to any of uh, three separate significant stations, as well as many less significant ones, in the centre of Brussels. It has multiple ring roads, so you can actually get around Brussels, uh, provided the traffic isn't so awful. It's uh, The standard of driving is shockingly appalling. <laughs> okay, The last time I drove into Brussels... It cost me two alloy wheels, 
One, because the flipping entry to the car park was so narrow, and partly because my car was quite big. Uh, and the second one was when a taxi just decided that it wasn't going to swerve at all, and that I was going to be the one that swerved and therefore curbed the other front wheel. Just laugh a minute. So nobody sensible is going to drive into Brussels. I think that the timescales in this are the opposite of the opposite of Bristol. They are laughably long, and I really feel that they could and and should really uh, bring them in uh, quite a bit because Brussels needs this. It really does. It needs to shift more people from cars to public transport to cycling. And and part of this is that they're putting all that in place first. Yeah. Uh, they're in planning major investments in pedestrian walkways, cycle routes, bus, tram services, uh, and all that kind of. All well, that I think they stuff. have to as well, being the 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 home of the EU government and NATO. Uh, so they have to be seen to be doing these things. They're so going around and finding countries everywhere, saying you're horrific, and then people turn around and go, "Yeah, but look what you're not doing in Brussels for crying out loud." But Brussels is worse. Yes, I agree. I mean, I've walked, I did quite a lot of that time spent walking in Brussels. And just, uh, if I wasn't walking, I was sitting in traffic jams in buses. Uh, and then eventually they, they stopped the company I was over there to see. They ran their own buses from Central Station, which, by the way, isn't the, is the smallest of the three stations. Don't ever walk from Bruxelles Midi, which is where the Eurostar goes in. Don't walk from there into town. It's not nice. Do get the subway, by the way. There's, there's Alan's top tip for the, uh, for the evening. <laughs> uh, just, just not pleasant. So there are all these systems, and, and still lots of people drive, and, and, and it's just awful. And I really feel that this is one of these ones that should be moved up, and, and that the, the timescales are a bit of a joke, really. When they have far better position to do this than most cities Right, I'm going to move us on to a recall. It's been a while since we've brought one up on the show. Uh, it's the fact that the new Mercedes-Benz EQC, which is their um, electric SUV, has got a potential problem with a bolt. Sorry, has anybody noticed an EQC on the road? Not yet. Do they actually sell them in this country? I've seen one once, but it wasn't in the UK. I've seen pictures of them in the UK. Oh, really? Okay, so they are. they do exist in the UK. But I don't know whether that was just press people getting them before the full release here. Mm. I don't know. I just not know. It's just completely invisible. I've seen e-trons and stuff. They're mo- more noticeable than these. Anyway, sorry. Let me stop in- stop interrupting and let you tell us about the front axle bolt. <laughs> yes. Well, there's a bolt on the front axle, and apparently that that may not actually <laughs> if, meet the. If you're lucky. <laughs> well, it it, it it was there once. <laughs> it may not meet the standards for durability that Mercedes expect. Uh, so therefore, they are recalling all of them to swap this over and make sure that it doesn't fail. It's at its potential. There doesn't, there's been no statement that this has actually failed yet that I've seen. So they've mm. caught it through their own quality control systems internally uh, and found it, and now they're taking action to fix it. I mean, it's not going to take them that much because there's not that many of them on the roads, as Alan said full stop but uh, it's not great for a brand new car to come out though that something that you would have hoped would have been picked up yeah but it's a brand new platform mate. you can't test for everything it's, 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 these these things happen I, I don't I don't know I'll never whinge at car I'll never whinge at car companies for issuing recalls especially when it's very early days of a brand new platform I, I'm happy that as long as they're being 
quick and very very public about it that that i'm not going to ever decry because we need that all the time it's the it's the oh this is just on a service bulletin type stuff i i object to that's what i object to so you know something like this where they say we've got a recall i think that's great i think i think that is i don't say that should be applauded but but i, I know what i mean mm-hmm. right considering how long we have waffled in this first part of the show we have I, I think calling it the first half is just going to be complete I wasn't fallacy. saying half, just part. <laughs> yeah. So very quickly, uh, parking firms, uh, private parking firms, are to give a 10-minute grace period on parking tickets. We all know what, what some of the private parking firms can be a bit like, with people sort of basically hovering, standing, staring at the ticket, and they're watching, waiting for the, 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 the second hand to click past so that they can issue a ticket seconds after things have, have expired. And there are plenty of, of ex- real-life examples of that actually happening. There's going to be two things coming in, uh, one of which is a new independent appeals service, which should help do away with some of the contrived and I'm sure they're not intentional they're intentional um, uh, the awkward appeals processes that these not quite cowboys put in place to make life difficult so it's easier to just pay the fine than not so they're trying to get rid of that also a new code of practice is being developed by the BSI the British Standards Institution I think it's actually in the British Standards Institute, uh, which will make it easier for drivers to charge the unfair tickets that will also, you know, say this is what you need to do. So people will say we comply to British standard whatever 110,043 for for parking. Uh, sorry, it, it's somebody pointed out recently. Well, it was on Twitter. There is actually, there's, it's not a British standard, it's an ISO. So there is an international standard for the days of the week. I mentioned that semi-jokingly in the training course recently, and whilst I was continuing to waffle on on the topic we were meant to be talking about, they actually went and looked it up. And there is, and it's not just you know Monday follows Sunday, Tuesday follows Monday, etc. It does actually state what what day is the start of the week and all sorts of fun stuff. So if you're really bored, you might want to go and look that up. But I'd ask nicely if you could do that after Guilt Minute. Guilt Minute, of course, uh, is that point, notionally halfway through the show, but that's not the case this week, uh, where we remind you to think about and consider what the motoring podcast is worth for you. If you feel it's worth a small amount of your hard-earned cash, then please head to motoringpodcast.com. Click on the orange become a patron button on the front page. If you are already a patron, thank you so very much. Particular thank you today, because today was Patreon Day. It was the day that your uh, your pledges uh, hit our PayPal account. So thank you very, very much for those. They are always gratefully received. It gives me a little smile uh, every time, every month when I, I see that come through. And, and thank you. It, it really it really does make a huge difference to us. We know, of course, that not everyone has the ability to, to do that pledge money. So please don't forget to like, rate, and leave feedback via the podcast player of your choice. If you've done all that, you really are wonderful, but how's about costing a friend who you think would enjoy what we waffle about and tell them all about us? One last thing, if for some reason you don't actually subscribe to the show, how's about doing so for free using a free podcast player, which will make sure that we come to you without the anxiety and worry that you might miss out on the next show. 
Uh, if you need any help with that, do please get in touch with us via one of the methods mentioned at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. That does it for, for Guilt Minute this week, I think. It does. Now, thank you, patrons. You rock. You do. You do indeedy. Right, I'm going to go straight on to WRC news, and it's a big one. This was sort of leaked out in, over the, the last event in Spain that Tanek was rumoured to be leaving uh, Toyota Gazoo Racing to go to Hyundai which seemed a little bit left field, a bit of a surprise, considering he was in the process of wrapping up his first championship and Toyota's first driver's championship for quite a few years. Uh, And it's come to be, he released a tweet, not long after we recorded, actually, uh, to say that he, he, from 2020, will be driving for Hyundai. Now, I've I've done a, a, a smidgen of investigation into this, and I came across quite a few... Discussions stroke rumours that there are mutterings and unhappiness with how the team is being managed. And Toyota, this is your talk. Yeah, about. Toyota. And this is the reason, or one of the main reasons why he's leaving. There's been a lot, apparently, a lot of, and I haven't been able to find anything to either dismiss this or corroborate it, but apparently uh, quite a few members of staff have left over the season through fallings mm. out with how management have have done or how they deal with issues and problems. I hope that's not going to affect Toyota going forward. I hope if that is true that they take a take a breath, take a step back and resolve those issues mm. and realise that they have them if they if they do, if that is actually part of the reason why Tanak has left. Because the more the more companies that are fighting up the front, I mean it's how exciting is it that any one of the four cars can actually win a race exactly and from a point of view by the way of 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 management you know when when your new uh, world champion leaves then then that's a bit of a red flag that maybe something needs to happen and maybe you need to to have a bit of a in the off season you maybe need to have a bit of an investigation to that kind of stuff and and try and find the root causes and try and try and solve those root causes yep right lunchtime read so lunchtime read this week unusually presented by me given its its topic is over on motoring research it's a, a nice opinion piece that's an interesting opinion piece by major gap by gavin braithwaite smith uh, about the rise of the connected cars and the kind of stuff it can know about you and it's it's not a particularly long read but it's quite comprehensive and it's um it's a good introduction to the topic it's a, it's a, it, it allows it is, it people is. who don't know anything to suddenly get up to speed with the sort of areas that it that connected cars can cover and the issues that makes for us as the consumer. As an additional benefit, uh, Gav does it really nicely without sounding too much like Andrew, which is great. <laughs> yeah, she can't have everything. <laughs> okay, I think we best go on to the list of the week, which this time is from Autocar and is an Autocar slideshow. But don't worry, this time, this week, it works. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of an older one. We've been keeping this in our back pocket for just such an occasion. And it is about the world's greatest car engines, as suggested by Autocar. And they start off probably quite predictably with the Ferrari engine. But the V8 from the Ferrari F355. But there are a few in there that you probably aren't expecting. For example, the second one along, which is the Alfa Romeo GTV V6 from 95 to 2004, which is 
become an even more handsome vehicle. No! This is everyone keeps going, oh, it's a Busso engine. Oh, it's a Busso engine. In a little corner of Twitter, everyone thinks that this, this basically has their babies. <laughs> oh, it's not a Busso engine. It's a Busso. <laughs> you can polish the intakes, you know. It sounds wonderful. I'm sorry. I mean, it is an engine that sounds wonderful, but it, it is also one that the Alfa Romeo drivers would definitely be 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 making. They'd have to wash their trousers afterwards. Put it that way. Yes. Uh, we move on to probably one that we'll all agree with, <laughs> which is an Aston Martin DB9 from 04 to 16 uh, V12. Mm-hmm. Yes. Apparently, it's not that quick, only hitting 62 in 4.6 seconds. But I mean, that's for most people sharpish. It's <laughs> a fine, exa- fine example of Mojonas there, yes. yes. Uh, but then we get back to another perhaps less expected one, which is the Passat W8. Great bit of technology. Great. That was not expected. No, great. Yeah, just, just don't be paying for the repairs. No, well, yes, there, there is that. But that's just. I mean, it's brilliant that Volkswagen did that. And I don't think we'll see the likes of that again, certainly not for the short to medium term from any manufacturer, as they all have to plough money into into dedicated electrification and all the rest of it, that they can't do these slightly left-field things anymore. Yeah, no, that's, I agree, I agree. It, it's a great list. Um, it really is. It really is a good one. And it's... It's well worth having a having a flick through as well. Yeah, I'm not going to run through all of them. You you go through and have a look. No, and then go ooh, and then occasionally go yes, and then they go ooh, and then yes, because that seems to be how they've done it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yes, I'm not going to go where I was going to go with that. Excellent, and 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 the quick round of applause and fireworks for that particular list. That's how popular and good it is. They really are going for it, aren't they? Yeah. It's all right. During our technical incident just there, you missed a whole load of singing. I think that's what it was. It was either that or the cats outside, so it's probably a bit of a relief, to be honest. But that brings us to the and finally uh, this week. And this was this was a cracker that it's it's old, uh, but I saw it posted by a um, friend of the show, uh, Alex Grant, earlier this week. Uh, and it's from Opposite Lock uh, as well. So right at the minute... Opposite lock has not been deleted by the fine. Well, the management of G slash O media. He'd taken down a peg or two, I think. But yeah, so it's from 2013, but it's what a car enthusiast looks like to everyone else. I shared it on Twitter earlier in the week as well. And it's, I think it's something, I think it's something that we should all read Occasionally, just to remind ourselves of, of how we probably look to other people yes, um, who are not really into the automotive stuff uh, like we all are. Especially when conversations descend into screaming at each other on, on the socials. That's, that's a time to sort of take yes. a breath, remember yes. this article, and go, okay, now we can go forward. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. Do... Do take. I mean, it is almost as long as the the the, the lunchtime read uh, this week. It was originally pegged to be a lunchtime read, but I, I figure this is this you know this this comparison with washing machine enthusiasts is frighteningly accurate. 
It is. Well, yes, it is. I was in discussion the other week, and then people were like, oh, you do that, yeah, into cars, yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, a little bit, yeah. It's just, uh, um, yeah, yeah, podcast, blah, blah, blah. And particularly, it was because my uh, my laptop was sitting uh, connected to a big screen. And, of course, the screensaver is, is all the Instagram pictures for both my own Instagram and, of course, the podcast Instagram. And given that there's, on average, just a smidgen under one a day on the podcast Instagram, there are quite a lot of car pictures there. Mm. So the, that that sort of needed to explain. It was like a, people going, so you're a good person to ask if you if I was buying a new car. And it's like, no, I'm a terrible person to ask. I'm the last person you want to ask. <laughs> Because I'll give you an if you, or if you, or if you, or if you type response and end up recommending a Hyundai i30 or a Volkswagen Golf. Yes, I will give you a 17-page questionnaire, at which at the end I will tell you. <laughs> tell, tell, tell you that you probably want a Hyundai i30, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or a Toyota Yaris, of course, yes. in my case. Yeah. So, no, it's it's excellent to go on, especially people who, who, who rabbit on about the wonders of, uh, of, manu- of manual gear shifts as well. Yes. Uh, manual gearboxes. Absolutely genius, genius piece. Uh, and, and well done to the chap on Kinja who, who wrote it. <sighs> made it, Alan. We've made it. <laughs> we were doing so well. Hopefully it'll be seamless by the time you hear it and it'll avoid the massive technical glitch when my laptop just went, enough, tonight. Yes. Well, it got tired because it's been going for so long. It's been going for so long and I'd forgot, I've been using it nonstop for the last two days and forgot to reboot before starting up all the multimedia joys that we have to run these days. Parish Notes, Volkswagen Driving Day Special Edition is out. This sounds very silly. I don't often or always listen back to these things, but I did listen back to that one, mostly because I, I couldn't remember how vocal I'd been on a couple of points. I just wanted to check. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I'm not blowing my own but I really enjoyed listening to it. I don't know why it just seemed to... It's just it's a particularly good one, folks, and it's particularly listenable, and it's not just us as well. Yes. We, we, we dragged in... We're, f- um, we're furthering dragged our, in Tom Lynch our, from Volkswagen. our push to expand and improve and tweak how we do things. But yes, we are trying to develop the way we do these things. There'll be a new read view out on Friday. Yes. Yes, that's good, because it's you wrote it in the notes. Yep. Uh, and um, <laughs> this weekend, we'll both be at Mission Motorsport Racer Remembrance at Anglesey Circuit. So if you're going to be there, do give us a ping on the Twitters and let us know. We'll be posting pickies and stuff from there. We're not attached to a specific team this week, uh, this week, this year. No, so that particular team will finish with flying colours. <laughs> I hope so, because every time the owner of that team and I meet, an, an engine dies. Hopefully this time it will be near, neither of ours. <laughs> so, yes, uh, we'll be there. So, so if you are going to be there, uh, give us a shout, let us know, and uh, we'll meet up. Uh, at the very least, say hi, because it's nice to meet listeners. Yeah, if you don't recognise us, we'll probably be the two chaps walking around with microphones in hand. Well, one will have a microphone, the other one will probably have a camera, to be honest. Okay. Because right, I get nervous wandering around with microphones. All right. Yeah, so we'll be there. Really looking forward to that. Weather forecast is... Cold. Is it? Awesome. Or th- pack our thermals, yes. everyone. No matter what the weather forecast says, wet weather gear is getting packed. Oh, it yes. <laughs> Which brings us to the end of this week's show. It's been quite a long one this week. Sorry, lots of waffling. It's amazing what happens when connectivity works. <laughs> 
Well, mostly, yes. Or at least for the first hour and seven minutes or something. Don't forget, between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts for the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Uh, please don't forget about Patreon and any other way to, to support us available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please leave a review and rate on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing because it really does matter. Fifth in Saudi Arabia the other day. Woohoo. Fourth in fourth in South Africa yesterday, I think. Cool. Something like that. Which given we're so UK but UK focused amazes me every time we get these numbers in. In the meantime, Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you, just to make sure that it's not actually gunfire in the background and it is merely just fireworks, what's the best way for them to do that with you? Yes, it's Bloomsbury, not Beirut, despite what it sounds like. Twitter, as ever, best way to get in touch with me, where I'm at AJP Bradley, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. We will be back next week, as I say, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring!